Amen. And as we continue on in our message in the misunderstood... Oh my goodness, this is impossible. Okay, let's try it like this. Alright, amen. Nope, this, is, this doesn't work either. Just so you all know, everybody here today is wearing their mask. And we're going to talk a little bit about these today, but as I seek to share the Word of God, we don't want to mask the Word. We want there to be clear communication We'll get back to that in a minute, but let me share with you out of the book of Romans. This is our key passage in our series of the misunderstood God. Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. And as we continue today in this series called The Misunderstood God, the premise has everything to do with the challenges that we face as a society or is the church when we face difficult questions by those who are struggling? And, and those who struggle may be those who do not know Christ yet, those who had a challenging experience with God or ended up disappointed with God because of certain circumstances in life. That's not select to those outside of the church. That pattern can happen to both those who have yet to know the true essence of who God or Christ is and those who claim Christ as their Lord and Savior. You see, John 10, Jesus spoke very clearly that the enemy or the thief has come that he might steal, kill, and destroy. And so he wants to steal away the goodness and the truth of God. If he can do that, he can kill or destroy our motivation, our desire, our longing for God. And unfortunately, that has happened indiscriminately throughout history with individuals both inside and outside the church. And so, this is why we're doing this series. And we've moved into a new time period, and uh, it's where we're taking questions from individuals uh, either in the church or those outside the church, and we've asked for good, real-life questions as to why people are challenged or Maybe they don't really see how God is fitting the picture of what they were always told. Or maybe they're saying, well, I don't understand how God can be really good when this circumstance happens in my life. And so I've decided God doesn't fit my paradigm. God doesn't fit my desires, my worlds, my needs, and therefore I no longer want God. That is a, a, a tragedy and it is truly... What Scripture describes as the plot and the plan and the effectiveness of the enemy to come and steal away the truth of who God is. So today we have a message from David in Concord. Thank you, David in Concord. Uh, Let me just do this so we can stay consistent. I I see you, David in Concord. Actually, I don't. You're really, really far away and you're in your house. So, But we're using this spyglass as a tool... It's an illustration for us to understand how do we truly focus in 
on the God of the Bible? How is it that we can arrive at the truth of who God says He is versus sometimes our false perception? And the reason that we're using this, this little prop is because it, it quickly helps us understand where most of the confusion comes from. And it's when we hold the spyglass like this, it's in proper perspective. We can truly see God the way He presents Himself. But if we make ourselves the subject of the spyglass, when we make ourselves the focal point, God becomes very small. We only see a small portion of God, and that leads to a misunderstanding of God. So the spyglass serves as just a tool for, for us to remember in order to truly hold to the essence of who God is, how He describes Himself, and how He reveals Himself in truth and in life, the spyglass has to be held like this. And brothers and sisters, as we examine this question today that David brings to us, I just encourage you, ponder which way the spyglass is. So let's get to the message today. We, we are in this new era of wearing masks. And some people are, are wearing the masks and some people are not wearing the masks. I've had some interesting encounters this past week. Had to go to a local hardware store and I ended up into one of those queues, right? It's like the Trader Joe's queue where you see people lined up for a hundred yards and they're socially distancing. And so I was in that situation and I have to be honest with you for a minute, I was frustrated. For a minute, I wanted to fit into the group on the right side of this picture and not the left because I felt like, you know, when we really examine all that's going on, is this really going to change things? And I didn't have my mask with me. I was going to have to go back to the car, get the mask. And for a brief second, I thought, okay, that gal out front monitoring all this, she's five foot two. I think I could take her. I think I could get past her. I think I could break through. And thank God, I, I chose the, the better part of wisdom, went back to my car, probably the Holy Spirit speaking to me, got my mask, got in the queue, and when I got in through the doors, I saw a six foot five gigantic employee that would have bludgeoned me had I, had I pounded through the gates without my mask. So we have this challenge. Should we wear it? Should we not wear it? And everybody's got a perspective on this, right? So I'm not wearing my mask because I'm very socially distanced. But if I could tell you who's in the room, they're all wearing masks. And I never thought I would see this day. It is the most bizarre thing. I hope you're wearing your mask at home just in sympathy mask uh, mode. And um, I never thought I'd see the day where I could walk up to a bank wearing a black mask and withdraw money and nobody question it ever. It, it, it's bizarre days. But when it comes to the masks... Sometimes we have this challenge of how do you feel about this? What is your perception? And when you look at this picture, this probably draws different emotions from different people. Okay, why are some people wearing masks, but our vice president isn't? And so some of the audience today will be championing the vice president saying, yes, way to stand up in the face of the lies. And some will say, are you kidding me? What's wrong with that guy? Does he not care? Maybe even if he cares about himself, and that brings this next question, right? Is, is the VP justified to say what? It's my body. I get to choose what to do with it. And for clarity, he didn't say that. And I have no idea why he's not wearing a mask. 
But I'm using this as an example. Because so much of the time, we get one little snapshot, and we want to rein in judgment on the scenario or the situation, and this is what we do with God that leads to a misunderstanding of God. And sometimes people love what is happening in front of them. Sometimes they're very accusing. By the way, what's the, what's the fallacy of this statement? It's my body. I get to choose what to do with it. What's interesting is there are many people that say you may choose what to do with your body, but it very well could affect others around you. That's why a lot of us are wearing quote unquote sympathy masks. Correct? Isn't that fascinating when it comes to the argument of the unborn? So let's continue on that note. Let's continue this morning and get into David from Concord's question. By the way, this is just an incredibly famous picture on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, and it is a social distancing fail. And what's fascinating is as we look at this, the beauty of who God is, is that God does not have to social distance from us. Nor do you have to social distance from the Lord. So I pray that you're using this time where we don't get the conveniences of being around those that we really want to be around, that you truly have invested in being around the one who can be right there, right with you at all times. So Proverbs 16.9 is the key passage we're going to use today to answer David's question. And it is, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. This is the perfect quintessence of how to approach succinctly the question David has. So I've, I've hinted at this so many times that you've got to be asking with bated breath, what is it that David needs to know? Let's get to it. If God is sovereign and all-knowing and knew Adam and Eve were going to disobey Him, why did He still create them? Or allow the serpent to tempt them? Or place the tree with the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden? Great question. And so when I get these questions, I want to drill down and get to the real issue as fast as I can. And David, I apologize if I'm missing the point here, but, but I think based off of the amount of times I've heard this question and the amount of times I've studied this question, I think what we're really looking at is this. Why would a just God allow the option to sin? Why would a just God allow the option to sin? So let's get to Genesis 2. This is the key area that we want to look at this morning. Um, since this is where David took us, since this is the origin of, uh, of all things, but the origin of his question. And I, I don't have time to get into the entire scripture this morning. But many of you are familiar with it. The garden has been created. Uh, God has created man. God has created woman. And He's given instructions for what they should do and what they shouldn't do in the garden. And let's pick that up. Verses 16 and 17 of chapter 2 in Genesis. And it says this, And the Lord God commanded the man. Now let's just stop for a second. This is not passive voicing in the Hebrew. This is a non-negotiable. The Lord commanded. It's like when you're wearing your mask, you may go to certain places and you may think, well, it's, it's kind of negotiable. Uh, it's negotiable around the house. Um, 
we, we should probably put a mask on my dog just whether or not we're in social distancing. He's got horrible breath. I should just go ahead and have a command of this level and of, of this acumen. This is serious stuff. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God... Oh, by the way, in reflection to David's question... God sovereignly chooses, this is His choice, this is His dictate, this is His determined will to create things, speak them to existence, to create a garden, to create man, and put man into that garden. And then set forth a series of instructions for the benefit of man and woman. So all of that fits into where we're going to half of the question David has that is called determination. And and, and we'll speak to that in just a minute. So anyway, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Now the emphasis is fascinating here. I don't know that we would word it this way. You know, I, I think in my parenting, I would probably say something along the lines, Hey, you can, you can, uh, you can go out tonight. Dylan, my son, you can go out tonight, but just make sure you're home at 11. Right? Versus, hey, go out for as long as you want. Except just don't be out past three. Right? That's almost how this is voiced. Is that there's such an emphasis of blessing upon man and woman, Adam and Eve in the garden. Eat of whatever you want. Except. And that's a, that's a literary form of, of showing the blessing and the blessedness of the hand of God. And he says, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. And here comes a very demonstrative statement. For in the day that you eat of it, you surely will what? You surely will die. You surely will die. Now, if there were a penalty for us in not wearing a mask that immediately the police could just shoot us. If they see us just walking down the street, no mask, and I don't know if you've been in this situation, but Janine and I have had this awkward moment where we're walking our dog, and because it's us, we're not wearing our masks when we're out walking because we think we think that what the governor said is if you're outside, you're good. But then we see this other couple coming towards us and they're all masked up, right? So we're walking the dog and we're like, you know, and throwing up the shirt like this. And, and uh, there's that sense of, eh, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I, you know, and then there's the confusion of, yeah, but it wasn't really clear. You know, we're supposed to be out getting sun and breathing in good air. And yet here's these people that are wearing. And this is where we get into the misunderstood God. Is because we're not, how would we know, how would my wife and I know for the sake of clarity, if there is such a demonstrative statement on us, like there is on Adam and Eve, that if you eat this fruit in that day, you surely will die. If there was a statement that's synonymous with that, with wearing a mask, that would go, if any policeman sees you without a mask, he can shoot sight on scene, no questions asked. I'm pretty sure I'm going to wear my mask no matter where I go. 
right? There's no confusion. But I have to go to the law. I have to go to what has been commanded so that there is clarity. Claiming that I didn't understand is not going to release me from the penalty. And we'll see that in a minute here. But let's get back to the focus of of David's question. Why would a just God allow the option to sin? So in examining Genesis 2, what we see is that God has created something good. God has created man and woman, and they are good. God has created sustenance for them. That is good. And He's put one thing, two things, in the garden. The, The tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life. Two trees they were not to eat of. And you know the story in Genesis 3. We'll get to that in just a, a, a minute. But let's, let's shift, since you already kind of, we, we've set this up. You can eat from every tree, right? Sounds like a restrictive and unjust God. Well, we may have a command on us to wear masks, and I don't fully understand it, but I'm not a doctor. And that doesn't mean that my perspective or my irritation with wearing a mask justifies my frustration with the authorities. I can understand my perception of my frustration with the authorities. And many of you have it. I've seen what you've written. And I'd be careful because they're seeing what you're writing. So, that doesn't mean that that's the right approach, especially when it comes to the Lord. The issue is, we need to get this right. And so, when we think about this restriction by an unjust God... If it is God who is creator and sustainer and provider, my question to us, and we'll revisit this in a moment, if God who is creator and sustainer and provider is all those things, who then has the audacity to tell God He screwed up? Because when we start to question if God is just or not, in essence, we're taking the role of God, are we not? And if you have any question about that, get ready because we're going to finish in Job 40. So let's talk real quickly about this idea of free will. The sovereignty of God versus free will. Because this truly is where we're landing in this question. Is that we have two things at work. Free will versus determination. Determination uh, is just a fancy way that the theological acolytes uh, term the idea of of the will of a sovereign God. It is determined, uh, so it is written, so it shall be, right? And so that speaks to the idea of a sovereign God. The counter of that balance is very simply the idea of free will. So we see that God told them, you have a choice. You have a choice to eat of all of these things and live within my will, or if you choose to eat of the tree you will surely die. In that day, you will surely die. So He is a just God that He warns them the consequence ahead of time if they take the one action that would cause sin and destruction and death. An unjust God would be the one who would never tell them and just lay the consequence on them. But He shows Himself as just. So as we look at this idea this morning of free will versus determination, Let's start with free will scriptures. What, how do we know that God has given us free will? Well, I gave you a little hint here right out of our main text of, of uh, Genesis 2, right? And we'll look at it in Genesis 3 as well. But let's look at some other scripture. So, 
on the screen, you see this, and the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in that day you shall eat of it. You shall surely die. Now you may say, well, there was no choice. No, there is a choice because he's saying, I presume that you may not follow through. So let me give you the consequence. If you go against what I have determined is good for you, there will be this consequence. Why say that if there's no free will? So this is the beginning of understanding right at the origins of mankind and of the world, God set up free will. Part of what we then ask is, well, why would He do that? And this is part of answering David's question. How can we believe in a just God when that God gave the option to sin? Free will has everything to do with it. And so as we look at this, let's look at some other Scriptures. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide a way for you to endure. So as we look at those challenges we see free will choice written into the scripture but we also see that god has predetermined that he will make a way for us to avoid those choices what a beautiful picture of a just god now if it's predetermined that i will make a bad choice i have no hope that i am predestined to do nothing but make bad evil sinful choices then that's another conversation. But what this is saying is that there is no temptation that has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, we'll all struggle with various temptations of, of many kinds, just like Adam and Eve did. But God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. So there is a way out through God's faithfulness. But this verse drips of choice. It drips of choice. Let's look at another verse to help us understand. John 7, 17. And it says this, If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the, <clears throat> whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Again, Jesus' very words saying, look, you have a choice. You can do your will or you can do God's will. Very specific. I love the next passage because it speaks to um, uh, uh, an Old Testament understanding of how the nation of Israel looked to God in the midst of all this in free will scripture, right? So, and if it is out of Joshua 24, 15, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. We have the word right from Joshua's mouth. Choose this day whom you will serve. And then, the finish on that obviously is, but as for me and my house, we choose to serve whom? The Lord. So as we look at this, we see Scripture gives us plenty of evidence. I don't have time to list all the Scripture because it's rife with it, but I'm giving you Old Testament and New Testament understanding that there is an obvious sense that God has set up for mankind in His economy if we want clarity on how God thinks and how God has instituted things. That even in His sovereign will, His determination 
is to give you and I choice. The question is, why? Why? Well, before we get to that, let's look at determination scriptures. Oh, I love this scripture. I feel like the target lady right there. Oh, I love that. You know. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, that's not a good works support passage. It is simply saying that you have been given the opportunity to work through this, to make effort to do this, to strive towards something. In other words, God has not predetermined all of your choices. He lays within our own uh, economy or our own uh, perception, our own will, if you will, the opportunity to choose righteousness over unrighteousness. So we need to, as Paul says, work that out. There's a tension there. And then it goes on to say something that's incredibly beautiful, which is the parallel part of the balance. It says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for what? His good pleasure. So you have both parts of the equation. You have both parts of the balance. You have the part where we have to go through the process of making good choices, right? Because He gives us the free will to do so. But yet, there is this thing that is a parallel to Proverbs 16.9. But yet God is at work in you. So we need to listen to God. We need to pursue God in our choices. How does that fit with David's question? Well, to succinctly bring it together, it's the idea that God established in His sovereign will creation, mankind, plenty of goodness for them to pursue Him, to live in harmony with Him. And yet He also allowed what? He allowed there to be one thing that they could choose against Him. The question, the deeper question is why? Why would He do that? And that's where we'll, we'll start to examine uh, much of what's going on here. By the way, I told you we'd get to Job 40. I love this. I, as a matter of fact, I'm going to turn there and I encourage you to turn there in your Scriptures. When you look at this idea of determination, Job is one of the best, the latter parts of Job is one of the best parts of Scripture to see how God describes Himself. How God sees Himself. How God wants us to see Him. And so Job has started to question in a, in a very nominal sense who God is because of His suffering. And this really is the angst. It's the, it's the root ball, if you will, of David's question. Well, I don't really want anything to do with God if God is, is into setting me up for failure because He set up Adam and Eve for failure. Hang on. Before you go down that pathway and misunderstanding how God set the landscape for mankind, understand this is a little bit of what Job was doing. A little bit. And so God approaches him and in verse 1 it says, And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once. I'm not going to do it again. 
I will proceed no further. And then God goes on and He says this, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Oh, what a valuable passage for us in context to the misunderstood God series and in particular to David's question. Oh, who are you that you would question God? Who are you that you would consider yourself worthy of answering the details of the universe? But yet God in His infinite wisdom and His benevolence allows us to question and seek Him. The worthwhile understanding for us is to go back to Romans 11 and say, who has counseled God that God should give back to Him? Right? This fits strictly out of Job 40. So if we hold that perspective right, if we hold that perspective right, now we start to understand and we have clarity and we have a narrower path for getting it locked in. So, let's look at some things. But who is this God? Genesis 3 in contrast to Genesis 2 begins to answer David's excellent question. So let's look real quickly. So Genesis 3.14 is where we start with the answer to what happens Go back to Genesis 2. God has been fair. He has been just. He has been kind. He's been giving. He's been given uh, provision. And Adam and Eve were thriving. And then the serpent comes and tempts them. And remember that, that Paul shares with us, there is no temptation that isn't common to man that you couldn't overcome. And yet what happened is Eve continued to have conversation with the deceiver. The one who wants to steal and to kill and to destroy. And that's exactly what the deceiver does. Steals away the truth of what God said. That it, the day that you eat of this, surely you will die. And yet, the serpent says, did God really say that? Remember last week we talked about truth twisters. This is where we get into the misunderstood God is because we start listening to the uninformed or those who are malevolent towards God and towards His economy. And so, God responds in chapter 3 to the sin and the choice, the free will choice of man. And He starts by saying what? The Lord said to the serpent. So He contends first with the serpent, with the tempter. And He says what? Because I really didn't think this through. I should have known better I thought they could do it and have the tree there. No, God doesn't. God doesn't waffle. He is just, and he really doesn't need to explain himself if we listen closely to Job 40. And I know that sounds pretty rigid, but you're going to see why in just a moment when we answer the deeper things of David's question in, in wrapping up. So he says, because you have done this. Accountability for a free will choice. Accountability for a free will choice. 
And so he says it to the serpent, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Then he contends with the woman, and interestingly enough, he doesn't use that wording. He does with the serpent, he does with the man, but with the woman he doesn't say, because you did this, I won't get into all that that could mean, let's just take it for what it says, there is a consequence for her free will choice. There just is. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In death you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Well, what about Adam? And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat it all the time. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now we look at this. This is called the curse out of Genesis 3. This is the cause and effect. Make a free will choice that it's outside of God's economy or His will. And the goodness that He provides for you in His sovereign determination. And there will be a consequence. Now that sounds rigid. And I've heard from so many people. That's not the picture of a loving God. Let me help you real quickly. Real quickly. Who died in this? Who died on that day? Did the serpent die on that day? No record of it. Did Eve die on that day? No record of it. Did Adam die on that day? No record of it. What was the promise? The day you eat of this, you will what? You'll possibly die. You might die. I'll take it up. With the Holy Spirit kind of die? You surely will die. So when we look at a God that sets us up, because I think that's the essence or the spirit of David's question, or many other people's questions, God set up Adam and Eve. Yeah, God set up Adam and Eve for everything good and beautiful. But He gave them one opportunity to blow it. And they chose that opportunity. Now the way I see the curse is that while yes, there are consequences and it is horrible, and yes, eventually there is death, God works throughout eternity with a redemptive plan because of man's choice, He provides a way to not have to yield eternally to death. God creates after the consequence promise of a free will choice, a sovereign God creates a way to redeem man out of that sinful choice. I see a loving God. I see a loving God. Now, that still doesn't answer why would He just not... You know, get rid of the tree. Why make it an issue? Well, let me help you with this. Now, this is my perception this is my effort to give clarity to david's question in 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 closing this is what i would hand to you the tougher question is is it just to control everything because you have the ability to control it how many of you just love controlling people that's a trick question like like you love to control other people or Do you love people who try to control you? Either way. How many of us absolutely love that? That's 
the, the doctrine of uh, determination, right? That me being all-powerful, that I can control every circumstance and it's going to play out exactly like I want it. Would you prefer that in life? I don't think any... I, I've not met the person that answers yes to that question yet. And so, I don't know that we would see God as a just God if He exacted His perfect sovereign will without the option of free choice. Now, the interesting thing about God is that He desires glory. He desires relationship with mankind. That essence of what you enjoy when you come home from a long day of work and my kids used to rush out of the house and the screen door would whack against the house and the dog would come and I'd be tackled by all of them. And they'd never ask for money until they got to be teenagers. Right? But I loved that thing because it was just genuine. It was germane. It was real. And they missed me and they wanted to embrace me and I wanted to embrace them. And I would get within a quarter mile of the house and I would start picturing it and I would start enjoying it. And, it, and, and if it, if it didn't happen, I would be crushed and I'd go into the house and I'd weep for days and I would wear sackcloth and ashes and I would rip the curtains and I was intolerable. I wouldn't bathe for days. No, it wasn't that bad, but it was close. This is the picture of God because we're created in His image. We can understand this sense about God. He desires to be glorified. He desires loving relationship with us. How can He have that if we do not have permission to do that with free choice? Because if I'd come in like the household SS leader of the Von Trapp family singers and asked my children to line up and sing me a song, and it was required every night, or they didn't eat. Well, that's not a half bad idea. That just There's a very big disparity in that. A very large disparity in that. This is not the picture of who God is. Let me help you with this. The basis for our relationship is God-centric. There's a dualism, there's a pluralism that's involved here. Because you is the answer to the polemic. It's a cause and effect. It's accountability. It's Romans chapter 1. It says you cannot obey God if you cannot disobey God. You cannot honor God if you cannot dishonor God. How can you ever know what honor is unless you understand what dishonor is? There is no choice if the only option is to honor God. But we understand this in the concept of light and darkness, right? That darkness actually determines the value of light. In the same way, in the same essence, Adam and Eve had a choice. They could honor God and God would be glorified in that and there would be great, uh, um, great relationship there or they could choose not to honor Him. And that would bring consequence upon themselves. But that's their free choice. And free choice, the idea of honor or, or obedience of God or love of God can only truly be valued if there is the choice to do the antithesis of that very action. I hope that's clear because that's the deeper answer here. We can either have the option to have those choices and it gives deeper value to those things that God desires in relationship with us, or we can just live in a world of complete control. We can live in a world of complete control. Is it just to control everything because you have the ability to control it? 
Is it just to control everything because you have the ability to control it? Is it unjust to allow others to make choices that lead to sin and death? These are deeper subsets of David's question. Lastly, is it just for us to assume God is a horrible, tyrannical beast when He in fact demonstrates mercy in Genesis 3? If we truly want clarity to who God is in all of this, there is an understanding that free will is given in order that God may be glorified. That we may be given opportunity to rush out of the house and embrace Him. And honor Him. And obey Him. What a tragedy if that was stripped away. That cannot happen without free choice. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Remember your answer or just response when it came to the mask illustration. Wear a mask or don't wear a mask, right? And I think most of us, what I hear today, and I know my own conviction is, I may not necessarily see the value for myself in wearing a mask, right? I'm, I'm a tinfoil hat, you know, Ruby Ridge, conspiracy uh, kind of guy that, uh, you know, we've all got this thing and it's all floating around and this, that, and the other. But you know what? I don't get to determine that based off of just my little proclivities or attitudes when it comes to your safety. So, I brought my mask because it's a free will choice for me to demonstrate that I care about you. That is a microcosm of how to answer this exact question for David and for anybody else who has it. Here's the beauty of this passage that we started with today. The heart of man plans his way. What is that? Free will choice. But at the same time, God is at work. It says, but the Lord establishes His steps. I have a couple questions for you in closing today. So as we look at this, the question is, in light of this understanding, do you therefore believe God to be found reasonable or admirable? If so, what will you do? In what ways do you need to rethink God so that you might not make the mistake of short-selling the Almighty because you simply misunderstood? David, I'm going to try to answer your question with a bit of applied reasoning as we wrap up. Yes, God is sovereign. He says so, and by His divine nature He proves to be so. Yes, Man has been granted free will in order that we might honor, obey, worship, and love God. No, God did not follow through with the exact warning He stated in Genesis 2. Instead, He provided mercy along with consequence. Provision in the face of punishment. Faithfulness in rejection. Now, was that curse fulfilled in essence? Absolutely. And again, that's a different story. But as far as surely the day you eat of it, you will die. God had mercy on the immediacy because of His love and benevolence for man. What we do know is that in fact, our poor choice of sin and death reveals a just and merciful God. We know that it was His choice to give Adam and Eve a chance. They chose badly. We know that He also gives us a chance to avoid sin and death. What will be our choice? 
this morning for whoever or whatever moment you're tuning into this message. What is your choice? Value understanding the truth about who God is, not our twisted, misapplied misunderstanding of Him through our own circumstances. Seek the truth of who God is and what He does, and you will find something that is irresistible. But the question this morning is, in light of this understanding, what will you do? Thank God this doesn't have to be the end of us. Because He is good, He makes a way. He is wise, and He is sacrificially loving beyond all comparison. Amen. This morning, if you need any encouragement or counsel, there's your Clarity text hotline. I encourage you, text that line with your questions or for prayer requests or if you want more uh, to know about who God is. Let me, um, let me close our time in prayer. Father, thank You for the blessedness of David's question. I pray that You have spoken clearly with this idea of free will and yet Your sovereign determination and that this morning we're able to see and understand in light of the actions of choice, it is not a reflection upon you and your wrath. It is a reflection upon our choice to serve ourselves. And then in response to that, we can see a merciful and loving God who will give us a second chance, a third chance towards redemption. My prayer today, Father, is that we wrestle with that idea that if we had lack of clarity and understanding who God is, who You are, or who Jesus is, that our circumstances have pushed us away from You because of twisted truth or because of the enemy stealing truth away, that the question comes to each of us today, what will we do? Will we pursue the beautiful garden of life that You have, have made for us? Or will we continue to live in a state of disillusionment? Move within each person today to pursue You in all ways. In Your name we pray. Amen. I'm very excited to share some things with you today about what's been happening at CBC. And as I do so, uh, in a moment we're going to call up uh, uh, Gentry Cook. Actually, Gentry, if you want to come up here. She's going to share real quickly from Care Ministry. And then I'll have something that I want to run by you real quickly, and then we'll prepare for worship. Alrighty. Um, so we have been doing some pretty awesome things in care ministry. All thanks to those in the church who have been donating their time and materials. We have been able to make a ton of masks to the point where we have lots of extras. So our Helping Hands Lady and some other people in the church have been able to make some face masks, which we donated to a local retirement home, which we also do our uh, cookie outreach during December with our kids for. And they are very, very grateful for everything. And we have some extras as well, so please reach out to our care ministry if you are in need of a mask. We have some to donate. Uh, we have also been collecting a lot of donations for our cookie drive. So we've gotten lots of cookies and scones and brownies and things and, and cards from our little ones and our big ones too. Um, and we 
we've been able to donate those to our uh, police departments and fire departments and our first responders, and they have been so appreciative of everything that you guys have been able to donate. Um, so we are going to be doing that again this week, our uh, cookie drive and everything. If you have sweet treats, contact uh, Care Ministry or you can talk, contact me or the Walters or Marianne, and, and we're going to go ahead and get those out to um, our front lines and thank them for all that they're doing. Um, we're also going to be trying something new this week. We want to create a space of fellowship and games. So if you and your family are free on Friday night from 6 to 8, we're going to have an open format Zoom meeting. So you guys can come as a family, and we're going to be able to talk and hang out and just have a time of fellowship. It's, it's not a meeting of any sorts. We want you guys to be able to come and go as you need to. But we really want to be able to get that connection and that fellowship back that we're missing so badly right now. Um, so please join us. Look in your emails for the link and meeting ID and password. Um, those should be coming soon this week. Also for um, children's ministries, I just want to say, parents, you are my heroes right now, okay? As much, uh, I mean, I have so many heroes right now, but you guys, I feel right now, are under a ton of stress. You are parents, you are spouses, you are employees, you are teachers and tutors, and that is stressful. So in children's ministries, we want to create different things that work for you as an individual family. We want to get the gospel to your kids, even though we can't be together right now. So we have our Bible study that we've been um, kind of trying out these past couple weeks, and we understand that schedules get crazy, and, and you guys have a lot on your hands right now. So we are going to try one last week to have a Bible study all together. And I know there have been um, some issues with emails and contacts and things, so check your spam and check in the tree to make sure that you are getting the text reminders and email reminders so that we can contact you best and, and get the gospel to your kids. And, and Thursdays, I will be um, taking the youngers and having fellowship with them and hanging out, talking about the lesson. And then on Fridays, Dev and Kirchina will be doing the same with the older group. So this will be our last week. But if that's something that really ministers to you and your family, we will continue it. Um, in other ways, we are putting out a scavenger hunt as well. So as you go on your family walks, as you get out in the air, you can be looking for birds and match it with a verse on the scavenger hunt. And you can be looking for mountains and clouds and things like that. So um, please be texting me this week of, of your needs and ways that we can minister to you because we want to create a space where we can get the gospel to our kids as much as possible as well. So that's about it. Thank you. Thank you, Gentry. I'm so proud of what the care ministry is doing here. Again, if you need anything, contact us through uh, our church uh, website, care ministry uh, at cbc.com as well. And um, I'm sure somebody's responding on uh, our Facebook and you can see that uh, not only have we been doing those things, but uh, through efforts of different individuals at our church, we've actually been helping uh, support a family that lost uh, a parent uh, to uh, COVID-19. Tragically, um, we've been helping individuals that have lost jobs that, that are in need of help and, and, and many other things. And so if you want to help with that, you can go online to the church website, conqueredbiblechurch.com, go to giving under push pay. You can click COVID-19 relief fund. Uh, I'm going to hit you up with something special right now that means a lot to me. Um, today actually is my birthday. And um, 
My birthday for the longest time, I really hated it. I didn't like it at all. I, I, I'm adopted, and there's a lot of complications that go with that. But back eight years ago, I was blessed with the opportunity, literally supernaturally led by the Lord, for me to finally meet uh, my family on my mother's side and learn the whole history there. That is really um, set in stone even more so. The desire to work with an organization like Options Health which is a faith-based organization here in our city that reaches out to young families. I'm going to be very specific. Young families. Husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend. uh, Gals that are are left alone to themselves, which was the case of my mother uh, in in many cases. And and so our organization seeks to come alongside a, a gal... And, and a guy that, that are scared to death about something they had not planned. And they're not sure what to do. And I can just tell you that this past week, um, our executive director was able to sit with a gal who didn't think anything was open. And she had a major choice to make and she didn't know what to do or where to go. And she looked us up and we were open. She came in, she counseled, we, we observe all the guidelines and, and this individual left saying that she has so much hope now. She has so much hope. And I just, on a day like today, I just want to emphasize that being part of a ministry like that, a real ministry that comes alongside individuals that, that find themselves struggling and at the precipice of a major life decision, they need support. They need help. And in order for, <clears throat> for us to be effective in that ministry, we need your help. So I'll be participating in the Walk for Life. It's virtual this year because of uh, the stay-at-home stay policy. But I'm looking for sponsors, and honestly, I want to blow this thing out of the water. So I'm going to create a way for you through my Facebook page to sponsor me, and I'm looking to raise $2,000 by the end of this month. So if you want to sponsor myself in order to help that organization change lives and help lives, please tune in. I'm going to ask that we go ahead and and prepare for worship. And as we do so, we're going to send you a quick reminder. Worship band can come on up. and uh, But watch and listen to these words to prepare our hearts. 